you're listening to chaos on the set a chaotic film and tv review podcast although today's podcast may not be as chaotic we only have two hosts on the mic with you today i'm shruti and i'm mike uh, Mike and I, we if you follow us on Twitter, you know we were supposed to cover Pinocchio this week. That has been delayed, but don't worry, over Mike's dead body will we not cover it. So we will be getting to Pinocchio eventually. But since we had a gap in our schedule, we decided we should head to our old stomping grounds. Our second podcast we ever recorded was on the season one of The White Lotus. So why not also cover season two? I guess it's, you know, in our blood, in our DNA, despite my not huge enthusiasm for the show. I think it's ripe for coverage and discussion. I don't know, Mike, how did you feel about this most recent season? You know, I am kind of the same way. I actually liked season two more than season one. And I know you're you're kind of the opposite on that. Um, but overall, in general, the show itself, I've enjoyed it's, I think the writing is good and it's, good enough for me to watch it but (laughs) i will say i I do think in general maybe i just don't underststand all of the hype Um, yeah i think it's just a a bit overplayed i was listening to a top 10 shows of the year podcast there are four hosts on it and three of the four had white lotus season two on it and this podcast came out before the show had even ended i was like what in the world? The show is not that good. <laughs> yeah, I just think like overall, it's not that profound. Mm-hmm. Like everybody thinks it's like this, this great commentary on how the other side lives. And and I'm sitting there watching and I'm like, do people even talk like this? To be yeah. honest, like th- some of these conversations are, are so contrived. Um I mean, I do think like there's really fascinating characters, but I'm like, if it took you to watch White Lotus to realize that rich people suck, like what have you been doing? Yeah, well, this, there's been also so much eat the rich and rich people suck stuff. I mean, obviously, Succession is amazing. If you watch Triangle of Sadness this year, that has a commentary on it, you know, Um I feel like we're getting more and more explorations of the rich elite. And while I like the show for other things that it does, I would say out of all of the media that that is exploring like rich dynamics, White Lotus is one of the weaker ones. Yeah. And honestly, like for me, what's most fascinating about the show that I tend to latch on to is really just the uniqueness of all of these different characters and their relationships with each other. That's what I um primarily focus on and i also just love how beautiful the show is like it makes me want to visit these locations despite all of the crazy things going on and naturally by the time you get to the end of the season i would say like the strongest episodes of both of season one and two seem to be um the last two generally speaking Mm -hmm. because that's when it's really amping up and you're getting closer to the murders, so to speak, or to, you know, finding out who is actually killed. But for me, I I never really got too heavily invested into all of the theorizing. Like I, that was never at the top of my mind throughout the season. Like we weren't in the smack dab of episode four and I was thinking, Ooh, now I'm really (laughs) wondering who that dead person is like it to me. That's just not top of mind throughout, but just based on, you know, the other commentary and coverage that I've seen, I feel like that is a large part in this show. So I feel like I'm, I'm almost like not part of that viewership that is so heavily invested in the theory. You also binge watch the show, right? You weren't watching it. week. Yeah. 
So that I think, you know, you'll suffer from losing theories that way because you can't really engage with, you know, Twitter on Sunday night after the White Lotus comes out. You know, after the series finale aired last Sunday, Twitter was uh, ablaze. Is that what you would say? You know, yeah. you know, memes, jokes. And like, there were also so many theories throughout the season. I would say the theories were a lot heavier this season than last season. Like last season, I honestly forgot that it started with a dead body near the end and people weren't really talking about it. And I feel like that just goes to show why I liked it more because there was more on an episode to episode basis that was keeping me engaged in the character's life in the present that I didn't need to theorize. Oh, but who do we think the dead body is at the end of the day? Whereas honestly, all there was for season two, I felt like was theorizing about like, for example, I did a betting series for the season one finale. I didn't care to do a betting series for the season two finale because other than who's dead and who kills them. I didn't really know what, like, yes, we could say, is Lucia going to go to LA with Albie? Like is Tanya going to get conned? But like, that was kind of more just plot unraveling than actually fun things to theorize about. You know, I felt like there was just less of a episode to episode plot dynamic. And I'm sure as we get more into each individual character, we can talk about it more, but like thinking about um, Harper and Ethan, like they start off, with a rocky relationship. And really the only thing that changes, like I know I'm belittling it, but really what it feels like is the only thing that changes is they finally sleep together and they finally like, yeah. be in, like, which is, it's, it's an external goal that like, if you're looking at it from a screenwriting perspective, you're like, these two people are no longer attracted to each other by the end of the season, they're going to have a lust filled sex life again. So you got there, but it just felt slower to get there. Like, I didn't feel the plot progressing that much this season. Yeah. And just and we'll get more into it, like you said, with the specific characters. But on that point, you know, it just like what's funny to me is it ends and everyone's like, oh, yeah, like now they, they have a happy marriage again. And, they're, <laughs> and they like all they finally to do is see each together. Other. <laughs> and I was just like, there ain't no way that shit's lasting. Um, but I tell you what, too, is this this appointment viewing and I do like it. I generally like when um, streaming services now are putting out shows on a weekly basis. And obviously HBO does that more than anybody because they also have um, HBO on cable. But even like having Netflix do it with certain shows, I really appreciate it because I think it's a better way of viewing. But Wait, with what is show- Netflix appointment viewing? Great British Bake Off, <laughs> at least for me. Um, but I, you know, I feel like different. Like Amazon did that with Amazon um, does it. Amazon but I don't did think it. Other than Netflix releasing Arcane at three episodes, like they released yeah. it by arc. I Netflix is very anti. Like Netflix is committed to the binge bottle. It's what gave them success, and they don't yeah. want to go away from it. The only way they slightly go away from it is like Stranger Things splitting it up into two parts, but that was because it was an outrageous amount of content. <laughs> yeah. No, Netflix was a poor example. It's just the first first thing that comes to my mind when I think of streaming. But like Disney doing it mm-hmm. with uh Andor, I thought was great. But for a show like White Lotus where there is so much theorizing and discourse going on, um it really becomes difficult because like you if you slip up and you miss it, then you really have to go like lights out on social media. If you don't want to find anything out, like I didn't watch the finale until Tuesday. And I knew by Tuesday that like Lucia was, was going to 
dupe somebody because like I saw a tweet saying like, oh, she played everybody the whole time. It was perfect. So the second, the second that she mentioned being in trouble and needing help, like I knew Albie was going to give her some money or some shit. Like it was just so painfully obvious because I was like two days late. So it is quite difficult. Um, for for the finale, like yes. I think on every other episode, you honestly couldn't get spoiled to the point where my twin sister watched the first two episodes with me because she lives with me here in LA. But then she ended up going home for Thanksgiving before me. So she missed the middle four to five episodes, right? There's seven total. And yeah. because we have people, like I have friends over every Sunday to watch the uh, watch the White Lotus episode. So she just watched it with us. And I was honestly like, you probably won't be that lost. Like other than the introduction of the gays, for lack of a better word, all, all mm-hmm. the people that are coming around Tanya, I just had to tell her who they were. And other than that, it wasn't hard to follow because there actually isn't that much happening each episode, which really frustrated me. I like the show. I think- a big uh, feature of the show is that these are characters you're only going to meet while they're on vacation. You're not going to see their home life. You're not going to see how they are when they're at work. Like this is the environment you're going to see them in. And I think that's really interesting. And I think Mike White has uh, an impeccable writing sense that he's able to define all these characters so well in such a small you know, subset that we're able to meet them in. And I liked having friends over with this low stakes farcical show where we can kind of like talk during it, snack, you know, make fun of uh, Cameron for being a dumbass, or, you know, make, be like, no, Harper, don't sleep with him, you know, all that stuff. But it's mm-hmm. not actually an exhilarating plot driven show. And for that reason, it's really not in my top 10 at all. Yeah. I mean, it really is um, pretty slow moving. Like that's, that's the sort of complaint I hear from other people's like, uh, you know, it's been pretty slow up to this point. You got to stick it through. And that's sort of what my opinion was of season one. Certainly like the middle episodes, I was just like, it felt a bit like a slog season two. You know, it was a bit different for me because I was binging it, like you said, so we could get to this point in time to record this (laughs) podcast. Um, But also it just didn't feel as slow to me again, because I was just so fascinated by all of these different like groups of characters and their stories. Like whenever it was Michael Imperioli and, and that family, I was glued. Didn't matter what they were doing. I was into it. Um, Same thing for Tanya. I mean, how can you not love Jennifer Coolidge? Like make the whole show about her and I'm, I'm invested. Doesn't matter how slow it is. Um, so I, I do see both sides of it, but I think like overall, um, yeah, like it's a lot of, feels like a lot of filling in the gap sometimes to get to the point where, where it needs to be by the end. Yeah. And listen, not every show needs to be plot driven. And then this person punches this person in the face kind of thing, but yeah. you know, just taking the DeGrasso family, like thinking back on an episode to episode basis, what happened with them is they got to Italy Christopher Moltisanti had sex with some sex workers. Christopher <laughs> And then what? They had breakfast. They visited a town. They had breakfast. Then Alfie yeah. had sex with a sex worker. Then they had breakfast again. Then they visited the relatives, got yelled at. And then they had breakfast again. And that's the end. Like nothing. Yeah. I can't think of like a big, not that I can think of one for season one, but I think that season one just had a lot more humor to it. Like I, I think back at season one where um, the Connie Britton storyline where her husband finds out that his dad died of AIDS and his dad Mm. was gay and like that horse story like 
that was a thing that happened that we could like latch onto. And then he's like mm. asking his wife to look at his balls to see if they're swollen. Like there was just a lot more humor in it, I think. And a lot more high hi- hijinks shenanigans. I don't know. There was more keeping me compelled. Whereas this time it really just felt like visit this place, eat, visit that place, eat, you know? Yeah. And again, like, it's not to say the show is bad. Like I, mm-hmm. I thought it was, it was good um, for a lot of the things we just talked about. But like you said, I think this, this lack of like a really, I guess, strong plot where there's more happening is the reason why for me, like it, it doesn't reach that profound status that everyone seems to give it. Like that's, that's sort of where I'm disconnected, I think from the rest of the crowd. So it seems. Yeah, I think that, again, Mike and I are in the anomaly. I think most people are honestly obsessed with the show. We actually did a poll on our Chaos on the Set Twitter just to see. Like, I, a lot of people- Oh, I forgot my- to vote on that. I vote for <laughs> season two was better, by the way. Um, a lot of people in my personal life are obsessed with the show. And like, I was, I was at a party on Saturday night where everyone was like, no, it's so good. What are you talking about? So I understand that I'm in the anomaly. Mm-hmm. So we put out a tweet. We're going to cover the White Lotus season two. How'd you feel about it? 67% of the folks said, I loved it. Thought it was better than season one. 22% said good, but season one was better. And then 11% said I wasn't into it. 0% hated it. Um, so the reaction is mainly positive. And I think that's great. But I also think that if this show was not Sunday now on HBO and just like on Showtime, nobody would watch it, you know, and nobody yeah. would be talking about it. Yeah, I would say my vote would be I liked it and I liked season two better than season one, but I wouldn't say I loved it. Yeah, if if, if I had my own poll choice, I'd, I would write that in. <laughs> it was good. Better Mike, than season you, one. Do you know about how season one of the show originally came about with the COVID necessities and everything? No. Basically, uh, Casey Bloys reached out to Mike White and said, Casey Bloys is the head of programming at HBO. Um, we have a gap in our schedule. We need something. Do you have something that can be filmed in a COVID conscious environment? And Mike hadn't written anything, but he was like, I have this idea of something that be, could be filmed all in this resort, which if you realize, you know, season one, when they're in Hawaii, they really just stay at the resort the whole time, which yeah. is so funny because I really don't think the show would have ever been greenlit with how, you know, for lack of a better word, slow it is nobody, no development exec would say, yes, let's put this on air, but they, it's just the only thing they could film. So they made it. And now it's going to make at least three seasons, if not more. I just think that's so funny. Interesting. I never knew that. Let's dive into uh, the characters. Should we start with our four rich, young, hot people, Ethan Harper, Cameron and Daphne? Yeah, let's do it. Um, okay, let's start with Aubrey Plaza because obviously you always have to start with Aubrey Plaza who plays yeah. Harper. Harper and Ethan are new, newly rich people uh, that have been invited by Cameron and Daphne on this vacation. When they start the vacation, Harper very obviously hates Cameron and Daphne and she's mm-hmm. trying to basically badmouth them behind their backs to Ethan and he almost refuses to engage, which I thought was very interesting. I think the whole Ethan's dynamic with Cameron, I think is honestly more interesting than his dynamic with Harper because I mean, let's just fast forward down to it. Right. So Ethan thinks that Harper, something happened between his wife, Harper and Cameron. So he goes and tells Daphne about it. And Mm. then they walk over to this land bridge and maybe have sex. Maybe don't. What do you think? Do you think they had sex with each other? Um, yeah, I guess. And and based on what I've read, it seems like 
those actors seem to think that as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, I it, mean, it, something it, happened. It's weird, right? Because Ethan, earlier in the season, refuses to, uh, while Cameron has having sex with Lucia and Mia goes up to him, he's like, no, I'm not interested. Yeah. And Mia leaves him alone. So he seems very committed to not cheating on his wife to the point where, honestly, I feel like he had sex with Daphne more to get back at Cameron, like, ha, 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 I slept with your wife, than actually get back at Harper for kissing Cameron. Because he has this weird superiority complex with Cameron. He talks about how he always slept with the girls he wanted to sleep with before he could. You know, it's like... Yeah. It's, it's even, a, sorry, you it's sorry, you go finish. I just, even like when he's having that fight with Harper in the room, he doesn't want to finish the fight. He wants to go beat the shit out of Cameron because he's like, oh yeah, he tried to sleep with my wife and I'm mad that he tried to sleep with my wife, not that my wife also tried to sleep with him. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic, especially the role that Daphne plays in this entire thing, right? Because I, you could make the argument that she convinces both of um, of Ethan and uh, Harper to commit their infidelity, right? Like mm-hmm. she originally tells Harper, "We'll do when she's suspicious of Ethan. Like we'll do what you have to to make yourself feel better about it." And so, you know, I think like she's feeling vindictive and and then, you know, sleeps with um with Cameron. This is it's tough to keep up with all these names, all these. Yeah. And um, do you want to keep calling them by their character names? I do. I do want to call them by their actor names, but I, I'll do my best here. Um, And then vice versa, like pretty much uses the same the same argument on Ethan to to make him feel better about it. Um, And I feel like on one hand. That is certainly true that it's more about um that it's more about Cameron than it is Harper mm-hmm. and, and his superiority complex with him. But I think the other piece of it is, you know, like earlier in the season, Daphne is explaining how her and Cameron like like to play games with each other. And like instead of fighting, like that they they fuck with each other and, and kind of like play these mental games. And I feel like it's a bit of that as well, right? Like there's this ambiguity between both Ethan and Harper where the other doesn't know exactly what the truth is. And you can tell that that faithfulness is no longer there 100%. I don't think mm-hmm. they will ever be able to trust each other wholeheartedly ever again. And so I feel like Harper's first act of infidelity is because she's not really sure whether he did it or not. So she has to sort of like commit the same crime and then vice versa. It's like, they're just calling each other's bluffs, so to speak. And I feel like that is partially how they're able to then find um, mutual understanding and reconnect it at the end is because they both can kind of um, look at each other and realize that they've both done the same bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's almost like they did it to themselves, right? Like it did not have to get to this point, but they both sort of pushed it on and, and got well, to a point where it's like, it's it's essentially the prisoner's dilemma, I think, if you, if you really think about it. Like it's better um, to, to do it than not do it, not knowing if the other person has done it or not. I, yes, in terms of getting out of prison or making money or whatever, but yeah. in terms of this infidelity thing, that's what 
really, I struggle to wrap my mind around because if look, I don't think it's good for their relationship. And I, but it, it does at the end of the day, mend their relationship. They have hot sex that night and it's considered to be like, Oh, look, now they can sleep with each other. And the reason they got there is because they both cheat like that. That is, it doesn't sit right with me either. And I do think like, I think it's a short term thing. I Mm -hmm. don't think like, I don't think any plausible, like reasonable person can sit here and think like, oh yeah, this is how their relationship's going to work now. And it's going to be just fine. Yeah. Like, there's no way. I, I did want to shout out uh, Megan Fahey, who plays Daphne's performance when she first finds out that when Ethan says, I think something happened between Harper and Cameron. Amazing. Um, the, the way she, like those 30 seconds of her looking into the ocean, looking down, contemplating, not only did my husband cheat on me, which I'm sure she's aware of happens, but did this friend person that I thought was a friend of mine that I confided in also sleep with my husband. Like she processes and I think that's everything. what she's more hurt by. Yeah. And her, oh my gosh, it's just so amazing. I also clipped out um, a part of her interview on why she ends up doing whatever she does with Ethan. Um, I think this is interesting to listen to. Take a listen. She's kind of like, it doesn't have to be like this. You could get a trainer (laughs) or like you could take a walk with me to this island and like, you know, who knows what they did there. You know, like I think, and again, I don't think that she does that to make, you know, to get back at Cameron or anything. I genuinely think in her strange way, that's like an empathetic thing that she's doing the way that she's trying to take care of these people to call it an act of empathy i think is really really interesting because again i don't think she necessarily wants to sleep with ethan like i don't think she's like i want to get back at uh, harper because she slept with my husband or did something with my husband i don't want to get back at my husband for cheating on me she says it's an act of empathy like almost i'm helping Harper and Ethan's relationship by now having sex with Ethan, which again, I don't personally get, but it's interesting that the character looks at it that way or the actress thinks looks at it that way. Yeah. And it, I mean, it does, I think align with like her overall philosophy of, Mm -hmm. of marriage. Like you could see it sort of like in the dynamic that she has with Cameron going back to how they're playing games with each other and they don't fight and just like some of the quotes she she has along the way, um, and I'm really paraphrasing here about, um, you know, you never fully know, you know, a person and like what's going on mm-hmm. inside your head. So like she's choosing to see the better side of things, the fun side of things. Um, and so I, I think clearly she has found something that at least works for her and gives Mm -hmm. her some sort of peace of mind. I don't know how effective that is really for the health of her relationship, but it seems like she's like sharing that with others. And I I think it it comes full circle that night at dinner where, Mm -hmm. you know, you see the difference between these two couples, like Ethan and, and Harper are, like flabbergasted and caught off guard. That was bonkers to me. That they want to sit with them. (laughs) And to Cameron and Daphne, it is like nothing happened at all. And clearly they're all aware of like what happened. It's no (laughs) secret anymore. Like a lot of the stuff in the first six episodes was all a secret. And -hmm. like now it's all out on the table. They all know what happened and they are just like, yeah, let's end this on a good note. Let's just move on by it. I feel like the White Lotus in general 
is always making this point that these rich people work in an intensive, almost borderline crazy way of compartmentalization and deluding themselves into thinking they're happy, right? Like even in season Mm -hmm. one, when I can't remember the character's name, but Jake Lacey's new wife uh, is realizing he's a nightmare and doesn't want to be with him anymore, which I have no idea how she didn't realize that earlier. But again, we only see these characters when they're on vacation. So we have to just speculate about what their life was like previously. But at the end, when she finally decides she's going to stay with him, she says, I'll be happy. Like, you know, I promise I'll be happy. And she's basically promising him like, no, I won't be grossed out by how much of a rich prick you are anymore. I, I will hated just, that ending. By yeah. The way. She's horrible. like, I'll just put on this fake face and I'll delude myself into thinking I'm happy, which is not the same thing Daphne's doing, right? Daphne's saying like, no, I'm going to reclaim my freedom in these very specific ways. And in that sense, she's a little bit more empowered, but she is still deluding herself into thinking that she is in a happy marriage. Right. Or are they in a happy marriage that they've just compartmentalized enough to think while they're in that area, they think they're happy, but they still do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah, essentially. (laughs) You know, this all makes me think, though, of like. You know, it's like we're sitting here and we're viewing this portrayal of of rich people and how they live. And it's just it's so weird, like picture yourself in those shoes, like what would you do like if you had that much money is like is that how you would be living i think like everyone likes to idealize and be like oh i wouldn't be like that like i would be great as a rich person you know it's just so interesting to me there's yeah there's like tiers of rich people also that we see in this season right with like the people that have the palazzo but they they they're cash poor they're not very liquid and even like uh in succession they talk about uh greg is gonna get some deal from his grandfather where he makes a certain number amount of money and they're like oh you'll be the poorest rich person like that's it's not enough money that you can't work but too much money where you like don't know what to do like there are tiers of rich people and if you're on the low end of rich you almost like can't interact with these other folks as well because you can't play the game as well which to me is like do you even want to spend time with them anyway like I would rather just be rich and still spend time with the friends that I have right now who are not rich but well Still, I'll go to Italy together and I'll pay for them. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I guess uh, unless you had anything more to say on the the four of them, to wrap things up, I, I have like a overarching question about, yeah. about what you think the future is for these four people. A, do you think, I think like Cameron and Daphne, like that marriage continues. Like to yeah. me, there's, there's not really a doubt about it. A, do you think... Ethan and Harper's marriage lasts, let's say, more than a couple of years, I suppose. Um, and B, do you think they ever go on vacation again as the <laughs> four of them? I don't think they'll ever go on vacation again. I don't think Ethan and Harper are going to last because, again, even before the infidelity struck, Ethan could not communicate with Harper. She was like, hey, he undressed in front of me. Isn't that weird? And he's like, he's just shutting her in like her uh her down saying no 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 that's not weird I, I don't think yeah. that happened or when she gets back from the trip to Noto and she's the she spills all of the tea that happened between her and Daphne and Ethan refuses to do the same like he doesn't look at her like a partner like I don't know what happened if they were always like that or if all of a sudden he shut down and stopped sharing things like this with her but they genuinely can't communicate and so this marriage is doomed because I don't think they can compartmentalize as much as Daphne and Cameron can yeah they also just don't seem to like 
have fun. Like she does, she doesn't seem to be like neither of them seem to be a joy to hang out with either. You know, like every interaction that they have throughout, like I see both sides of it, right? Like Uh obviously he's like in a weird spot, like being with his friend and she's at first not making the best effort. So that's putting them in an awkward position, but at the same time, like she's bringing up very valid topics of conversation and he wants to basically sweep all of it under the rug. Um, so other than like their steamy night of passion, it does not seem like there's a ton of joy between those two people. And it's more than just like having uh, out of sync schedules, you know, Yeah, that they, yeah. That it's like a huge topic of conversation the whole time. <laughs> Which in the beginning I was saying like, all they need to do is sleep together, like just sleep together. But then that really was the resolution and I was disappointed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Grasso men, your favorite men. Let's do the Degrassos. I mean, again, I don't think there's that much to dive in here because no. at the end of the day, it's it's just telling a story of these three generations of men, all who treat women differently, but all who basically have issues with how they treat women. I think uh one thing I actually was curious about the whole season that never paid off is the uh, bandage that Bert the F. Mary Abrahams the grandfather character has on his head he says he hit his head I don't know if that was like a weird thing that happened in actually on set so he had to wear that bandage or something like that because I was here thinking like oh we've never seen him at night something happened that we don't know about like it really fueled my theories and then that was just a nothing burger of a situation it's interesting I never really like thought about it like mm-hmm. Obviously, he suffered the fall early on, but that didn't seem to be the cause of the bandage. But I didn't really give it much thought beyond that. But looking back, like, I guess there was moments in time where there's like little comments about it or or something. And it does seem a bit out of place. Um, but yeah, I don't know, maybe just a bit of uh, of delusion to sort of throw you off the scent. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, ma- ma- Mike White likes to throw things in just to fuck with people, I feel like. Yeah, yeah very, I mean, very valid. Um, I think for the the three of them, I was really just, for me personally, my connection to Sicily, like I was just most infatuated with their sort of journey to go back to mm-hmm. the motherland and like find distant relatives like that is something that my family has done going back to oh Sicily. did you I, did, I didn't go I was did too your young. did your relatives welcome them or scream at them to go away you, you know no no they well they welcomed them my grandmother was actually like reunited with her friend that she hadn't seen since she was like 10 years old oh um, but see they were reuniting with people that like they knew they knew yeah they like, didn't really discover this Anybody was so knew. like honestly when they go to these three women who are like working their asses off trying to put together a meal and they expect what to be welcome with open arms to be like pull up a plate we'll make you a meal too like they don't know you you've never met each other you don't have any mutual friends like what I really don't know what they were expecting yeah no I mean it's definitely look it's definitely I think um a sort of like fantasy or wish 
that at least like a lot of Italian people have of Mm -hmm. like going and rediscovering their roots and finding family. Um, And then obviously like some, you know, some Italian families uh, like ours, like have knowledge that of family members that, that are still there. Like I know when my dad and uncles went, um, they had never met their, their distant family that lived in Sicily, but um, you know, through our other cousins, like we knew, of them and like the connection was made and they had dinner at their house or whatever. And they would, they were um, opened or welcome with open arms. But I did, I I found that to be a very like profound and interesting moment of when F Murray Abraham was talking about, like you, you expect mm-hmm. a homecoming. And, and I think one of, I don't know if it was one of the sisters or the mother, the, the Italian women that were like shooing them away but they they basically made a comment again I'm paraphrasing here about like you know they come here they show up thinking like we have to that we owe them something or like that we're supposed to be so impressed like they leave and now come back you know like they're the they're essentially like the forgotten ones like their family left for America and and they're you know still living in Sicily and obviously a very small town and um they don't have much readily available there so it is interesting. It's a scene I connected with a lot and understand like the disappointment of not making that connection, but also, you know, you are right. Like, what did you expect? But I think everybody sort of like has that, that hope that it's going to, that you're going to make that connection. Honestly, relatives connections can be really sweet and meaningful. Like I, uh, this past Thanksgiving, you know, there was a man that came to our family Thanksgiving, who's like great grandmother knew my great grandmother and I didn't Mm. know him at all, but it was really cool to be reunited. And also I, I just love the feeling of connection that that family brings you and heritage and, you know, knowing that they grew up together in India and were friends and we can talk about that shared narrative. But again, we're still like excited and looking to share. Whereas this almost, it feels like uh, F. Murray Abraham's character was all like the way he looks, what he looks for from women is love, appreciation, Mm -hmm. respect, sex, but not really, they're, they're not equals, right? He was there to be like, look at what I've done. Look what I've achieved. Now show me that you love and respect me for that. You know, it wasn't like, what have you guys been up to? What's going on here? What is your day to day life like? I, well, nice to meet you. You know what I mean. It's just he could have handled that a lot better. I think they they didn't plan well, certainly. <laughs> um, but again, to your point, like between the three of them and their different relations with women and all not being great. True, I I don't think there's like too much to be said. Like that was one of the. I'll say like less interesting things. Mm-hmm. Like I wasn't really too floored by like, okay, Michael Imperioli is a cheater and like his son looks bad upon him and he wants his son to convince his mother otherwise. And he needs to change. And like, okay, like la di da. Like we've heard yeah. that before. Like that's nothing crazy. I did think it was a little bit interesting bringing the grandfather into the mix because like, he was just causing trouble really between the two of them. But again, I'm like, I'm watching. I'm like, 
Jesus. I'm like, who is talking to their grandpa about like this shit? Like, I will say though, the scene, uh, I don't think Albie's there. And it's just Michael and Corioli talking to F. Mary Abraham and saying, you know, the reason I am the way I am is because of you. And he's taking responsibility for his own actions, but still Mm -hmm. saying like, I learned this from you. I treat women this way because of you. I thought that was a spectacular performance by him and a very moving scene in an otherwise slow plot. It really feels like, honestly, like obviously this ties directly with me and Lucia's storyline and the drive point that Mike White seemed to be wanted drive wanting to drive home here is like Albie is this guy who respects women and shits on the Godfather up into a point, oh. but once he wants you know uh, fifty thousand euros, he's willing to sell out his you know commitment to protecting his mom for these fifty thousand euros so he can support this other woman. You know, it's all a yeah. very flimsy layer of feminism that he's holding. Yeah, in a, in a great scene at the end, at the very end of the show, when they're at the airport and they all, one after another, <laughs> sort of turn around and look back. Um, yeah, oh, that Godfather scene. That was, <laughs> I tell you what, I was that was a tough one for me. I was really torn <laughs> in between all of these people. I was like, Albie, you're wrong about the Godfather for so many reasons, but you make a valid point. It was a tough one. <laughs> I know, I need more, uh, you know, more of these guys who are obsessed with, the Godfather and Mom stories. Just, just watch that scene. I, I wish I could broadcast that on like Sunset Boulevard and make everyone watch that one scene. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's it's not why I love The Godfather, but yeah. I think he makes a valid point. But also, The Godfather is one of the greatest films of ever. So, <laughs> when you really downplay it that much, I don't know. Um. All right. But also, we... real quick, just also like I had this thought yesterday too after watching it. And essentially the whole murder thing being boiled down to like, oh yeah, we're in Sicily and they hired a a mafia hitman to (laughs) do the dirty work, you know, other than the fact that it was the gays that hired the mafia, like it was a bit cliche i think in in retrospect but it's it's an interesting parallel to have all like all of the godfather stuff in the show and then that be the outcome but at the same time i don't know part of me is like i love the those kind of stories but i also like it's 2022 and our connection with sicily is the mafia and that's the the best we can do here i don't know let's let's get into the mafia and the death more specifically because honestly very bad plan on how to kill Tanya. I, what I don't understand is they were in their own palazzo without all of these authorities around where they had control over the whole environment and they chose to sail the boat to right outside the hotel and kill her there. Like, what is it because, you know, if, if her body is found in the palazzo, they'll be directly implicated, whereas here it's easier I have no, I genuinely, like, I, I I could see that being the thing, but like, also if they really wanted to kill, honestly, it's at the end of the day, I have a hard time believing all of these men were like, yes, let's commit murder. You know, like, let's hang out with this woman for days and they're all down to murder her at the end of the day. Like, I just don't think murder comes that easily to people. Yeah, no, because I mean, that is very premeditated, yeah. right? Like, like absolutely um psychotic really mm-hmm. and it's like to have all of those people be on the same wavelength and be that psychotic is is a bit much and i wonder if maybe 
like at the end, like Mateo was crying and like mm-hmm. saying goodbye to her. If maybe they knew like he was the weak link and and was and that's why they're sending him home. And, and like, that's why he you're didn't gonna come spill along. the beans. I, yeah, I don't know. Um, granted, I do think like from a plot perspective, it's not too much of a leap to just be like, yeah, this mafia guy is going to commit this crime. And because we're in Italy, like it's going to go unsolved and they're not going to figure out who did it. Yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Um, So like that, I didn't think was, was too much of a stretch. Um, And now I really have to think about it, but like going back to the whole, the whole idea of like, um, her husband getting the money if she died. That wasn't hinging upon it being an accident, right? Like it was just her death. Like she could actually be murdered and he'd get the money. Yeah, I guess so. It, honestly, though, an accident would almost be easier for him because this murder, I mean, it was an accident, right? She she died. It was Jennifer an accident. Jennifer Coolidge's death was an accident. Yeah. It would have been a murder. And what it, they had what? A gun in the bag, rope. Like all things where if those weapons were used on her, it would show up in an autopsy. <laughs> so, yeah. and then the second a billionaire is murdered, obviously you're going to look at the husband. Like it was just a, it was a weak plan from start yeah. to finish. And like, and two, like with the rope and clearly like they, they were going to throw her overboard. Mm-hmm. Like was the idea that she was supposed to go missing or like, was it intention yeah, that she would like show up as a dead body as well? Because it's like, that's, I think where it gets a little bit ambiguous and, and dicey. Like if he wants to get the money, like she needs to be dead. And what if she's like a missing person? How does that work? Yeah. And also it seems like they were intending to kill Portia too. Right. Uh, like I think Jack was supposed to kill Portia and then ends mm. up not killing her for some reason. Yeah, but again, that's on the plane. two murders that these people are willing to commit. I and listen, I understand she has a lot of money, and I also understand that uh, Tanya's character is a narcissist. She's very evil. She doesn't even like remember one of the guy's names after spending three days with him. Like, she's not the best person in the world. I can understand not wanting the best for her, but murder is a jump. I think. Yeah. I will say, despite that, um, I found it pretty compelling how the the dynamics of it played out and like their plan of separating them and the connection back um, between the gays and her husband and some of the motivation behind it. That I thought was was pretty interesting and I was engaged with. So Maybe, you were, uh, were you surprised by all that? Because that was a very prevalent theory that, you know, Greg is behind this. Greg left Sicily. He was mad that Portia was there in the first place because, you know, a la in the beginning of Get Out Ruined when the they plan, can't have yeah. the police write the report, they can't have another witness here in Italy knowing that uh, Tanya is in Italy. Then he leaves. He's told. Yeah, the second, the, um, is his name Quentin, the main guy that's talking to Tanya? I think his name is Quentin. Yeah, when, I think so. When he... The f- second he first mentions, oh, I, I had one love, this cowboy from the States. Everyone was like, that's Greg. It, and it's really funny because I was listening to this interview with Mike White where they were talking about when she lifts the photo uh, in the penultimate episode of Greg, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone in the audience who knew about the theory was like, oh, that's Greg. Like it was 
almost certain for me that cemented the fact that Greg was behind it because like why else should they shoot it that way but when they were going through the writing and notes process HBO thought that Tanya should pick up the photo and say Greg you know so it's funny how little they think we'll figure out prior to the fact and then when you know when you're releasing episode to episode all people have all week long is to dive into these details and figure it out you know Westworld style so um, yeah I can I will say I until she picked up the photo I completely forgot about Greg like honestly (laughs) forgot he was there um so I was I was at least a little bit surprised um and then even when and again I think this is more of the nature of me binging it and I'm like going into one episode after the next. So I'm not like giving a ton of thought. And sometimes I'm not the best viewer either. Like I'm looking down at my phone. I'm not like paying super close attention because again, it goes all the way back to what I said earlier when it comes to like the murder and like these dead bodies, like that was never top of mind for me the whole season. Like it's, it's not this sort of like aching thought I have where I have to figure out. So I'm not super, intense on like looking into very specific clues and things like that so when she picked up the photo and looked at it like to be honest i didn't really give it too much of another thought like i wasn't like oh this is it this is the key to the puzzle of figuring out all this shit (laughs) and then like we get to the last episode which i watched back to back so i got to 30 minutes later and she's like, this is my, this looks just like my husband, Greg. I was like, oh, okay. Now we go. Which also, by so the I way, I was a little behind the eight ball. There. When we see her in the promo for the finale, I was like, okay, Jennifer Coolidge is going to make it the finale. And obviously like, if, if you have to kill off Jennifer Coolidge, don't do it until you absolutely have to lose that character. I get it. But yeah. again, in terms of a murder plot, wouldn't it make a lot of sense for her to be like, oh, she took the wrong drug. She died at this part, you know, like. While she was under all of these influences at the party, they could have definitely taken her out instead of, you know, on the boat when she's sober and when she's okay. very elaborate. I think the funniest part of the finale is when Tanya has just first found out and she's running to the ship captain on the boat and she's like, walk, walk, walk. And then she sprints into a run, but like everyone can see her. That was comedic gold. The last episode I would say was the funniest of, of all of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the murder sequence is a comedy, right? When she's like squinting her eyes and just blindly shooting the gun, which by the way, I've never shot a gun before, but I imagine it's hard. Like the fact that she kills all of them with the five shots that she has is quite impressive. I feel like I would miss very heavily when I was shooting a gun. I will like when, when the camera pan and they were all dead, I was just like, I was like, did that just happen? Because there's no way she hit them. Let's yeah. be real. Like she was just firing around that room at random. There's yeah. no way. She and but, she all she killed them all fatally. <laughs> like it yes. wasn't like somebody got shot. And, except for one person. One person survives and jumps off of the boat. So and then I probably mean, drowned. Do you think he drowned? I mean, let's let's talk about season three. Because in the post-episode interview, Mike White says something about, oh, shit, I should have written this down better. But he says that, like, I guess Portia is not going to say anything because she's scared. But, um, you know, we'll see what happens in season three. It could have been a joke. Like, I think the appeal of the show is the anthology aspect. And so I wouldn't necessarily want them to season three to be the murder investigation of Tanya or anything like that. But I am frustrated by all the loose ends that 
this murder plot actually left. To me, what this show is, and is tough to just base it off of two seasons of work, right? But I think it is, it, it works well as like an anthology series where we're getting, I think it's fine to use like the same sort of like plot device and the same idea like, okay, you're going to start the first episode someone's going to be dead. We're not going to know who it is. And then by the end, we're going to get there and find out. Um, And every season is going to take place at a different location. Um, But I don't think necessarily season over season, the, the plot needs to connect it. I actually wouldn't like like to see like season three. I like, I don't as much as it may bug, you know, Mm -hmm. us that there are some loose ends and we don't know things. Like, I, I kind of want season three for them to start with something really brand new and, and there not to be any plot connection to the previous totally season. If, if there's maybe a recurring character, I think that's okay. Like, we had Tanya with this one. I don't think that's necessary either, though. Like I like the looking, idea of bringing one character back. If you had to bring one character back, who would, I have one. I know. Okay, so I'm... Okay, but mine is from season one. I want them to bring oh. Natasha Rothwell's. Sorry, Natasha Rothwell's character back. The masseuse. Who does she play? She oh, plays the Belinda. Belinda. I think it would okay. make sense for her to be at a different White Lotus property, so it'd be kind of seamless. And I think, I mean, I think she's talented up the wazoo, and I think it would be a yeah. lot of fun. And not just that, but I definitely don't want Portia to come back because I, I don't want to see, you know. I, d- I don't want to see this murder investigation get more delved into. And also yeah. I think uh, Haley Lou Richardson is quite booked and busy right now. So I, I don't, I'm not that Natasha Rothwell is not, she's very successful and a writer, but um, I've heard, I forget who I heard this from, but that Haley Lou Richardson's just trying to do like more small closed uh, projects right now. So I'm not sure how eager she would be to jump into white Lotus season three, you know? Yeah, no, I I agree. And I I had the same thought about like, okay, who could we see next season? And like looking down the cast of characters from season two, there's really nobody that stood out to me that I could think of that was like, oh, I want to see this person or it would make sense to see this person. Like thinking of the DeGrasso's, they went to Sicily for a very particular reason. I, I can't imagine that there being a continuation there i think portia like clearly she just fled the scene of a crime like it's not gonna (laughs) make sense for us to go back to her um i think you know the the two young couples they're kind of done and dusted like it's probably best for us as the viewer that the future of their relationships is is left as an ambiguity um so there really isn't anyone that jumps out to me also just like i know i've read a little bit about like what season three could be about and mike white has hinted at like you know season one was obviously about um money and was about money and power and season two was more about sex so season three was could be about like death and eastern spirituality yeah he said he said in the sorry, I just didn't mean to cut you off, no, but I fine. thought it was bonkers in the post interview that he said, you know, season one's about money, season two's about sex, season three, maybe I don't know about uh, medicine in East Asia. He says East Asia, which makes me so nervous. I, you know, like it's kind of when they go to Hawaii and when they go to Italy, those are cultures that I think Mike White can explore. I, I, we'll see. I'm a little yeah. nervous about how he does East Asia, but I was like, whoa. 
I'm so surprised he's saying this on an HBO sanctioned thing because I feel like that means it's written or it's close to right like yeah you don't publicly say your idea unless you're like committed to it. So that was but also it was, it was just like goofy to me when he's like it explores the idea of death because I was like, well, don't they all <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what do you mean? It explores the idea. Every I mean, every season, season one was about sex and season two was also about money. Like, I don't yes. think his themes are that exclusive. No. Um, OK, who are you bringing I... back? Who are you bringing into season three? Oh. <sighs> Um, we really miss know, Armand. I wish Armand didn't die. Armand, in season one. His yeah. presence was genuinely missed this season. Maybe the woman that goes Valentina. into labor. <laughs> oh, the woman that goes into labor. Bring in her. The pilot of season just one bring yeah, bring returns. her back from that little <laughs> escapade. Um, I think Valentina could be interesting, but the issue with her, you know, obviously is she's like an Italian-speaking worker. Yeah. Like she's very much specific to. The location like it's not going to make sense for her what did you think anywhere. about by the way her plot line with the co-worker that she very obviously has a crush on did you feel like it was almost too much of a retread with armand also having a crush on one of his co-workers or it, it ended up being different enough but when it started and she was crushing on her and i was like oh no is this going to be the exact same thing mm. um i also was a little confused because this co like the the worker, I forget her name, but the one who is crushed Isabella. on Isabella. Does yeah. she not realize Valentina has a crush on her? Like I feel like she's being very obvious. Is she like Naive. trying to pretend she doesn't know? I feel like she must be faking it and being like, oh, can you bring Rocco back? You know, I don't know. Like it's like this the signs are very clear, especially if you are engaged now. Like you should you've been through the dating pool, you know what flirting is like. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it, I I bought into the naivety. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe Italian oh, you know, culture is just different. You know who my favorite <laughs> character, not that I necessarily want to bring him back, but you know who my favorite character was? Uh-huh. Salvatore. Which one is that? He's the guy that she brings in to replace Rocco. <laughs> <laughs> Loved him. Thought he was great. From the beach club. Yes. If anything, he should be in the Mario movie, not Chris Pratt. Oh, 100%. I also think he would have been great in um he see he was the embodiment to me he was the embodiment of what Jared Leto's character should have been in the House of Gucci. I didn't watch very him. very random but Jared Leto was horrible in the House of Gucci. And Salvatore, I thought he could have he could have done it. <laughs> All right, redo House of Gucci with Salvatore. Our campaign starts now. Yes. Oh, because like all of that music that they play throughout is like music that i've listened to i actually like one of the most common artists that he that mike white features on the soundtrack there's almost a song like every single episode is that old like Italian folk music that is performed by Fabrizio DeAndre. And literally like when I went to Italy a couple months ago, like that was on the top of my souvenir list was to like go find a record store and get actual vinyls of Fabrizio DeAndre because you cannot find them in America and they're like super expensive on eBay. So I was like, 
for me, that was very cool. And that's actually, I kid you not, is part of why I started watching the show because my uncle texted me. He's like, it's Fabrizio <laughs> DeAndre in season two. And it's like, you got my attention now. So um, where do you want to go in season three? I've heard, uh, you know, people saying, you know, it's time to go somewhere cold, go to a ski lodge or something like that. Oh, but that I, could be fun. I think that the catch of the show, and I'm going to sound like such a pervert when I say this, but it is all of these hot people on this yeah. beach vacation in their swimsuits, you know, sleeping with each other. And I feel like the cold will take away a lot of the sex drive almost. And so I don't, I don't know if it'll pan out well, but who knows, you know, there could be a sauna. I don't know. <laughs> Good point. No, that I mean, that's, that could be interesting. I think like, the ski perspective, I think you could lean more into uh, this sort of the hidden nature of things like people, I don't know, like rendezvousing out on the slopes and shit like that. But like also like that feeling of being like cooped up in a lodge. And I feel like the, they go harder like on the alcohol in, in this ski resort kind of world. Um you could throw in some injuries, like some ski injuries would be an interesting little subplot there. I think where I would like to see them go to continue with the tropical vibe would be somewhere down under either Australia or New Zealand, I think would be pretty interesting. Well, I'm going there soon if Mike White wants yeah, to scope it to out, me. scope out locations. <laughs> well, that's what's really interesting is Mike White was apparently he had a different idea for the season, season two. And apparently he went when they were location scouting in Italy. He saw the location was like, oh, no, never mind. This is the sex season. Like, this is the season where I want to explore the themes of mm. sex, which I think is fascinating to have his ideas really molded by the location. I, I, I know you're going to be nauseated when I say this, but the location really is a character in the white Lotus. The white Lotus hotel is the main character in the white Lotus. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 like, I just look at it and I just love like what being in Sis, like that taking place in Sicily. Like I love the architecture and the vibe. Like it just reminds me of, being in oh. Italy. Like I loved go, I love when they go to the opera house. I love the paintings on the wall and the sculptures. Like I could just did you not get bothered in. by how many times you just watched waves crashing though? I wish I, I kind of want to stop mm. watch the whole season and see actually what is the runtime of the waves crashing. Cause the, I think you could show waves... in each episode by five minutes. <laughs> yeah. I will say like the the nature the water mm-hmm. specifically the waves was much more effective in Hawaii, less in yeah. Sicily. In Sicily, I loved the landscape. I thought like yeah. the the cacti and the, like the desert landscape, that was very cool. And walking around the towns, the water a little bit less so. That's a fair point. Well, since Mike has finally complimented one of my points, I think we should wrap things up there. Oh, that's not true. <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining us on this small, but hopefully equally fun and chaotic episode of chaos on the set mike where can people find you on the internet you find me on letterboxd at m riccardi uh you can follow me on twitter at micro marate you can follow me on letterboxd at shruti marate and then you can follow our show we are on letterboxd instagram and twitter all at chaos on the set